I never want to feel like I'm like talking at someone. I try to come at it like very conversational and just see where that will go and how they pick up on it. Because if you just say how you're feeling, then they can also feel okay to do the same. The voice you just heard was one of my students from this past semester. Did she just say students? I sure did. This past year, I started teaching at Temple University. So while I'll always be MG the venue specialist, I'm really enjoying my role as Professor MG. As a project for my leadership and organizations class, the students paired up to record a short podcast about what they've enjoyed and learned in class so far, incorporating the role of emotional intelligence in their lives. With the students' permission to use their project for this season, I've broken each recording up into bite-sized clips. This week, I'm joined by Daniela Galdi, producer of Beyond the Venue podcast and return guest from season one. We'll listen to the clips and carry on the conversation started by Margot and Leslie. If you're looking to gain insight into having a conversation as opposed to confrontation, you're in the right place. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the following episode, Empathetic Communication 304. Don't be late to class. Welcome to Beyond the Venue podcast. I'm Professor MG, and with me today is my guest, Daniela Galdi. She is not only the producer of this amazing podcast, but she owns her own company, Bivest Agency. How are you doing today, Daniela? I am doing so well now that I'm with you. I know! <laughs> Best Buds back together again. Oh, yes. Taking 2022 by storm. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners. So they might have um, caught your episode. Uh, we did an episode together at the end of season one, which kind of made sense as a producer host wrap up. Um, but, you know, for our new listeners checking in for season three, tell them a little bit about yourself. Sure. Hello, all the listeners. So MG, I just, you know, I love her so much. And I, it's really been an honor and a privilege to continue to work with her on Beyond the Venue. And, you know, the working relationship that we have is amazing. And so is the friendship that we have. So I just, you know, wanted to put that out there to the listeners that I'm just so grateful to her. And, you know, she mentions that I'm the producer, but at this point, you know, <laughs> MG really is a lot of the pro production here and I, I help out. So we'll say I'm the production consultant. And I do some editing. And <laughs> I, I am quite the production, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that is why I love you, but she's really taking her own. You've really taken your own here. So, um, but for me, I, as you know, MG, I am very passionate. I love to help everybody with their passions. And I do a lot of that through my work that I do. So I have a creative agency and production house, which is by Vesta Agency. And that is where I'm able to work with individuals and companies and help them build different types of media and communications, work on their business development, management products, all that jazz. Anything really that goes with the moving parts of pursuing your purpose and your passion and offering it to the world is what I like to help with. Um, my background is also in health and wellness. So I am a professionally trained dancer and that brought me to my love of, you know, the body and the mind. And so I do a lot of work helping people within like Pilates and dance and fitness and uh, biomechanics and 
corrective exercise as well as mental health and their, you know, guidance on like spirituality, things like that. Um, a lot of that is done through my um, organization, Still Standing Together, which is very focused on mental health first and foremost, but then also I'd love to continue to expand in like community and, uh, excuse me, community enrichment and, you know, see how far that can take us with empowering different communities and individuals to make an impact. So, so keeping busy. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and we, you know, we talked a lot about self-care, um, you know, particularly in season two. And so I know that uh, as, as deeply as you, you care for others. I, I know that you've been making some very serious strides, um, specifically in the last six months to finally take care of you. And so I do want to commend you for, um, you know, recognizing that, you know, we love helping others, but it's, it is absolutely wonderful to care for yourself and ask for help when you need it. So yes, it keep, is. I actually keep it up. Keep it I, up. Thank you. I will keep it up because you know what? And, you know, I know self-care is more than just this next thing I'm going to mention, but I finally had my first massage in the past like decade. <laughs> I don't know how long, but I mean, and I was like, why do I put off this stuff for myself? You know, so it was a real big eye opener for my, for myself. And then there's other things that come along with self-care, you know, like the boundaries and social, you know, socializing, things like that. So Absolutely. Well, so listeners, um, format's a little bit different, as I had mentioned before, um, with regards to how this episode is going to flow. So I will be playing clips from um, a podcast recorded by two of my Temple students, uh, Margo and Leslie. And so we've got this broken down into about five clips. So we'll listen to what they have to say. And then um, Daniela and I will will discuss what we've heard. So let's uh, just go ahead and jump right on into the first recording. Okay, hi everyone. This is Margo and I am a human development and community engagement major with a nonprofit management concentration. And I'm Leslie. I'm also an HTC major um, with a concentration in community education. In regards to leadership and like nonprofit work, can you tell me about a time you demonstrated leadership and how you'll use that experience when going into nonprofit? Yeah, so um, I actually kind of got into nonprofit work when I was in high school. I was a sophomore, so I kind of watched um, leaders in the nonprofit world as a volunteer. And then recently, this past semester, I applied for a grant and ended up getting the grant. So I'm starting like my own nonprofit project, which is really exciting because I kind of got to thank you. I got to watch like as a volunteer and kind of pick up on a lot of the traits that I really liked and I would want to implement. And without those people, I definitely would not have taken that chance. So I would say one of the leadership skills was definitely like, I appreciated how empathetic they were. Like if I couldn't come one day or I was late to something, they had a nice balance of like still being a leader and kind of keeping you in line, but also being empathetic and understanding that like things aren't always going to work out the way that people think that they are. And I think that's very important in leadership roles, especially in nonprofit work. So I'll probably take that into the future. Yeah, empathy is definitely something I have also experienced with my work positions and having like a boss or any type of leader who is empathetic or has like a good emotional intelligence 
really makes the work environment better and just overall better experience. Yeah, you can definitely pick up on the fact when like a leader focuses on like emotional intelligence because everyone's like feelings about the environment completely change. What what I reflect on with with what they have to say is, you know, one of the main reasons that I really want to do my PhD research on toxic workplace environments, because unfortunately, I have had, you know, the complete opposite of of what they've experienced. And, you know, many, many bosses who have completely lacked emotional intelligence and completely lacked empathy. And it you know, one of the main reasons I no longer work in the beer industry. So I, you know, I know you yourself have had a variety of different, you know, workplace experiences and different roles. Um, you know, have, have you had a boss or a mentor over the years that has displayed high levels of empathy and emotional intelligence that have allowed you to grow? Or have you experienced more of the opposite or just everything in between? Well, one, congratulations about the direction for your PhD. That's awesome. <laughs> it was um, an easy topic to pick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, love, I love that for you. Um, the other thing with that said is, unfortunately, I, you know, the negative comes to mind, similar to what you said, is that, you know, I, I had very bad work experiences, um, both small business and corporate um, being like excessively worked to the bone, not, you know, mental health and physical health, not being taken into consideration, um, no boundaries feeling, you know, being made to feel guilty, um, just like very abusive ways of talking to me. Um, and so what, you know, the turning point of that is that I've been able to make sure I know what I want to be now when I work with both you know, any, I do a lot of mentorship. So anyone who comes in like a mentor or, um, you know, an intern, uh, as well as my clients though, like I make sure that I treat them, you know, one of the biggest things now that I've just added to like my values is like to make sure that I always have the, the approachability and not be met, make sure that my clients or anyone I work with is not met with resistance. Right. Um, and there's you know, a fine line, but, you know, and managing your own boundaries as well. I think it's one of the things we've kind of learned from the the last couple of years is, you know, the customer's not always right. So, you know, always comes back to, I'm not always going to be right. The customer is not always going to be right, but we'll work together to find, you know, the correct solution. And exactly. Exactly. So the working together part, as opposed to the, like, um, you know, I think a few times listening to the clips, many people had used the words like dictatorship. And like, you know, many of the students have said that it broke my heart, but it's, it's true. And I can think of a time going back to your initial question, one of the first jobs going into uh, working with a small business, I was running a studio and, and um, I ended up going to therapy and spending months just specifically talking about how I was not treated well and that is, that was not okay. And, you know, how it broke down my confidence. Uh, I spent the entire first year of working at the brewery in tears. Like it, it was a very, 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 very toxic environment for sure. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I empathize with you there on that. Um, in terms of good sense, you know, I do have uh, a situation where I taught dance for a very long time. I do it intermittently now, but um, growing up to work, 
I worked at a studio I grew up with. So that was nice to see how friends slash they're my family as well, right? Like, you know, not by blood, but they're considered my family. Seeing how a, a business relationship can work with people you know and love on a friend or familiar, familiar level, that was also good. So I've also had that experience in a, in a more positive aspect. I've had that experience where it was a lot about just that sincerity piece. Like, look, I understand where you're coming from. Communicate, like I would be communicated uh, to from the owner. And she would really just like, let me know how it was, but not in a way that was like, you're not doing it right. It's constructive criticism. Like we all, you know, we need to learn and, you know, if we're doing something wrong, we need to be told, but, you know, have a conversation. Don't scream it at me. Don't lose your head. It's, it's having the emotional intelligence to, to treat someone like a human being. (laughs) And, and, and exactly what the students said about empathy, sharing that, that, that the person in charge is recognizing that, right? Because if you don't announce that or make it known to the person that you're talking to in any situation, I feel like we, we might not assume that that's where the good intention is, is that empathetic view. We might not know that they see it in that light. Well, I, you know, back to, I, I do, I'm glad you were able to highlight some positive experiences because I, I definitely have to give a shout out to one of the best bosses I've ever had. Um, you know, again, going back to higher education, when I was in grad school at Temple and working with uh, student activities, um, my boss, Maureen, just hands down one of the best bosses I had ever had. And, um, you know, when I would bring her ideas of projects to work on, you know, oh, that's a great idea. Like, let's run with it. And so one of the projects that I worked on is still being implemented to this day. Um, you know, granted I saw it, like, I think university of Connecticut or somebody was doing it. I'm like, this looks like a cool program. Like, what do you think if we like tweak it and, you know, templeify it? And, um, but she was very empathetic, very understanding, um, you know, supportive and encouraging. And I, I just, I really appreciated her approach, you know, from top to bottom. So, um, you know, then would go into the exact opposite. <laughs> after graduation, but, um, it's, I, I, you know, we were talking before offline that, you know, hearing all of what these students have to say gives me hope for the future. And I, I really think that, um, they are going to continue to push back against the system. And, um, I, I think the things are going to continue to change. I completely agree. And I think that the fact, not that I want them to experience these negative situations, but um, it did sound like many of them had, and they weren't looking at that, like, this was okay. This is how I need to move forward. They were looking at it as I'm being disrespected. This is not okay. And I'm going to not only do better, in the future, but they would address it. Like mm-hmm. I heard that a lot in the, in the audio clips with them that they, some of them just went and addressed it right away, which is so brave. And that's another reason that I, I feel the same way you do about, I feel very safe with the next up, upcoming generations uh, leading us because they have that empathy factor, but they also have that courage to really stand up for themselves. 
Well, speaking of clips, let's jump into the next one. I found it really interesting when we spoke about like the difference between management and leadership at the beginning of the semester. So I was wondering if you noticed like any differences like in your workplaces and like how that's impacted like your jobs in the past. Yeah, so I kind of work two jobs at the moment when I'm a seasonal worker. So I'll definitely say at my summer job, the um, just having, trying to think. So my boss in the summer is, I don't see her as a manager or boss. She's really someone I can confide in, I can talk to, and it just makes it so much easier. The job I have here, it's, he's a manager. He's not, like, he's, he's cool. He's a manager. He wants everyone to work, get the job done. It's yeah. not really like, oh, how's your day, blah, 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 this, like, so the experience, like, work here is just work. Like, I go to work to get money, but work back home with my other boss, who is a little bit more empathetic and understanding and actually took the time to get to know all the employees a little more. It's more of, like, I have, like, more of a passion working there. Yeah, and I think it's, like, that's kind of how the succession process, like, works better is when, like, the bosses actually get to know their employees and they get to learn about what their talents are and then at the same time like the employees actually have a passion for what they do like that's kind of how my like volunteer work in high school happened too because i started um just as a volunteer tutor because my siblings went to the private school and my sisters were already going to be there so i was like sure like i'll i'll go i'll start and it ended up like being the reason why i switched my major so it's kind of just about like the people who lead you obviously you can kind of make decisions based on like the tasks you'll be doing and things like that because i also do like the work but like if you don't have the right leaders most of the time you're not going to be passionate about what you're doing so and then speaking of like emotional intelligence like what values are most important to you as a leader and like is emotional intelligence high on your value list I definitely think emotional intelligence is like very high on my list in terms of like leadership. I think there's a very like sweet spot in the middle of like getting to know your employees and like understanding their feelings, but still staying on track and like getting the job done because there are certain people um, that I've been like a follower of where they might get to know me really well, but we never get anything done. And then there's also the opposite side where they couldn't care less about you or like what you're thinking, um, but you are really on track. So I feel like there's a good balance where like I value like emotional intelligence while also valuing like staying on track and like being productive because it makes you want to be productive then when it's kind of that nice balance in the middle. So yeah, I would definitely say that like empathy and getting to know your employees are like on the par with that. In terms of values. Wow. I I mean, Danielle, I don't know about you, but I just agree with everything that that both of them had to say that I've had all different types of bosses and leaders in the past. And it's, you know, unfortunately, my my, you know, I've I've had much more negative experiences um, you know, over the last 20 years than than positive ones. You know, one of the main reasons I wanted to start my own business. <laughs> Um, but what, but what have your experiences been like both with, you know, these leaders and bosses that you've had over the years did a lot, were a lot of them able to find that sweet spot? Do you find that they were extreme 
in a particular direction? Has it been a mix? And then has that impacted your own leadership style and how you, you know, run your own business? It sure has. And I, I agree with you. I agree with everything that they were saying. And similarly to you, I, I have had a lot of negative experiences. So I'm always self-reflecting for myself now being a business owner and whether it's working with, you know, employees or interns or mentees or um, clients even, right? I am always trying to be the boss that I wanted to, like that I would want to work for. And so- That's a great approach. Yeah, I'm always, you know, checking myself, right? Um, and that goes and, back to values, you know, wanting to, to treat others the way that you'd want to be treated. And that's an important value to you. Absolutely. And it's really, you know, a lot of, a lot of my self-identity goes into what I do in my work. Um, I cannot, I'm one of those people. I mean, I honestly, my perspective is like, it's very hard to distinguish yourself and, and like who you are, your work self and who you are as a person. Um, I do think they, they always will come together. Um, but I am definitely one of those people who identifies with the fact that, um, you know, I put all of myself, my, my professional work is very personal. So, right. You have to care about what you're doing. And that's exactly how I am. Bob is the opposite. He just, (laughs) we're going to have to talk to him, but I can't, I can't can't wrap my head around that. (laughs) He's, he's had some amazing experiences and excellent bosses and mentors over the last 10 years. And at the same time, like to him, he doesn't have to be passionate about what he's doing. Meanwhile, I have to, and I know you're the same way that I can't, I can't just work a job. Like exactly. I have to be the job, you know, I have to be, I have to care about it. And, um, I put my whole everything into it. Absolutely. And there's a lot of value to be said for both situations, right? Because there is a lot of power in, in detachment, which, you know, Bob may be experiencing. I don't want to speak for him, but you know, there's a lot of power in that detachment to be able to focus. Um, at the same time, for me, it has to be the same thing where I have to have that passion. So, so the idea of treating people the way I wanted to be treated is going to be throughout my entire life. It's when you meet me in person as a, as a friend, it's when, you know, you meet me at a cafe, you know, it's going to, I'm going to try to be the same for everyone. And, you know, you mentioned about values too. And, and one of the things that comes to mind is like approachability And I'm speaking with very recent like self-reflections for myself and how I want people to feel when they work with me. And I don't want them to be met with resistance. And I've realized now as I'm older and now with more experience of different people I've met and projects I've done, I really would get defensive, right? And And for somebody who considers themselves very aware of their emotions, right? Uh, I would get defensive. So now I've really been reflecting on my approachability and am I meeting people with resistance and is that happening behind the scenes, right? So that means if an email comes in and immediately I feel frustrated, I have to step away and I just can't respond at that moment, right? So to me, that's, I'm doing that for them, even though they can't see me, you know, behaving this way, but when I do that, I notice I'm able to exactly answer accurately what they need and also think about that empathy piece of like, where are they coming from with this, right? As opposed to like, 
putting it, you know, making it about me. It's not about me. (laughs) Well, that was a huge lesson I had to learn in 2020 because all of my clients, when I started MG, the venue specialist in 2019, they were all friends or friends of friends. And there was some sort of personal connection that I didn't really need to sell myself too hard. It was this kind of perfect timing, perfect place where, you know, these couples were desperate for a wedding venue and wanted one yesterday and they're just frustrated by the process. And so because there was already that no trust like factor that they, I think they had a significantly easier time trusting me because it was a personal recommendation versus, you know, 2020 hits and I'm offering these micro wedding packages to complete strangers. And so, um, working with a business coach through, um, the women's business enterprise center was an invaluable help of getting me to understand, to be more empathetic. You know, you, 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 you always consider yourself like so empathetic until you have to be in these different situations and, um, you know, realizing how awful of a process this is for all of these couples that are having to, you know, as time even would go on of like 2020 getting canceled and 2021 getting canceled. And so it was nice for her to change my perspective, which was, um, which was much needed, um, to be able to see myself through the client's eyes and potential client's eyes, which I, which really helped turn a corner. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've had, I've had others point things out for me and it's like that third party perspective that, has been, as you mentioned, invaluable and able to really step back and then see it from the other person's perspective really helps. And, you know, they mentioned about the manager who was just a manager and then the manager who was a leader. And even in scenarios like that, I think about myself where it is a job that I didn't want to be at, right? That's when I didn't care. And, and I don't usually say like, when, when I don't care is when there's a problem and like, you don't want to be near me because it's not pleasant. Right. And I, and I, again, try to, to self-reflect and keep that in check to make, because my actions were, you know, they do affect others and as each individual, you know, as it goes for each individual. And so with that said, you know, once now at this point in my life and career, when I hear the student mention the manager was just a manager, immediately my mind would go to right now, it would go to that person is possibly not happy in there something. Right. 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 As opposed to maybe like in my, you know, early twenties where I would be like, maybe that person's an asshole, you know? So, and it could, could very well be that too, but you know, you look at it differently. And the fact that these students are just so in tune with the, the EQ with like that emotional intelligence, uh, I just, I'm so admirable. They, they have blown me away and give me hope for the future. And this is probably something I'll say multiple times in every episode. Throughout yeah. This season. Yeah. yeah. But speaking of teachers and students, uh, let's jump into our next audio clip. If you've had like a professor in the past who has used emotional intelligence really well or not so well, like you don't have to name names. <laughs> but I'm interested because I feel like professors a lot of the time like can do that really well or like they unfortunately just like miss the mark on that sometimes. Yeah, no, I'll definitely say like in regards to professors, I'll go into like last, sem- not last semester, but like a few semesters back. Mm-hmm. Um, I had like a family emergency kind of. So I emailed all my professors and the responses I got varied like drastically. Like I had one professor who was like, oh, don't worry, you know, um, 
there will be no deductions on this assignment. You can have an extension, all this like really like showing that they cared about me as a student. And then I had another email that was just like very like it seemed computer generated, like monotone, oh like it did, it seemed like they were literally just there to teach. Like yeah. and it was a really small class. So they had the opportunity yeah. to get to know us kind of mm -hmm. for the long semester, but they didn't take that. So I was like, okay, so they don't really care. So I'll just do what I have to do. But for my other professors who do show that emotional intelligence, um, it was easier for me to communicate with them and just make sure I had everything I needed to be successful in the class. So it made a difference on how my class experience was. Yeah, and I feel like with what you were saying, especially like communication is such a big thing when it comes to like leadership, like even in high school, like your story just reminded me of like, when I was a senior in high school, it was the first, I would say week and a half of school and I had the same type of thing where I had a family emergency, I had to go to Chicago very randomly. Mm -hmm. And I was a very like stressed out student like I was someone where I was like, I'm too scared to email them. And then there are the teachers who would be like oh no of course you're fine like um we'll figure it out when you get back and same thing there were the ones who like didn't even respond and there's definitely like a time and place for everything i completely respect like deadlines things like that like there are definitely some things where it's like yeah obviously say no and be like no it's due this time and things like that because it keeps people on track but you can tell when someone like enjoys their job and enjoys what they do versus they kind of just go in and whatever and i think that teaches you or at least it taught me like how i want to be in the future as a leader yeah. and i don't want it to seem like i don't care like about what i'm doing definitely because like that's how i feed off of those type of people like those mentors and leaders in like the way i approach work mm -hmm. Love that. And it's the parallels between, you know, how how Leslie speaks about just these varied responses from her professors. Um, it, it's just so parallel to how, you know, bosses and leaders operate in, in the workforce. And I never would have thought about that translation when I was younger um that like thinking about all my professors because I I had the exact same experiences as all of them you know as a freshman you're terrified to email your professors because you don't like you know you're the little was it little little fish in a little big pond I, whatever you're just brand new and you're not really sure how to communicate with these grown-ups and um you know, you kind of learn along the way and it's, you know, kind of the same way when you're developing relationships with professors in certain aspects or, you know, that particular professor is not passionate about the subject that they're teaching and therefore they're not making it fun and interesting. So that is, you know, I feel like this is a solid reminder that if I get classes thrown at me <laughs> in the future that, okay, this is not my favorite subject, but like, how do we make this interesting? And how do we make this fun and engaging so that way the students aren't falling asleep in class or showing up to class, but also they're engaged in learning the material. First and foremost, I do want to acknowledge the fact that I did not congratulate you yet on new title professor. <laughs> so congratulations. I mean, I, I was able to, you know, when you had me come in for the class, I just, you can tell you create such a safe and just 
relaxed in the best way. Like the students were so engaged, but not in a pressured, like I need to be, you know, buttoned up and, you know, she's going to judge me if I'm not on, on the ball. Right. So I just, you know, I want to congratulate you on that. Um, and then you're welcome. And to add to to what you're saying too, you know, if (laughs) I joke because, uh, and I'm laughing because I'm thinking if anybody wants to like try to teach some, um, eight to 10 year olds ballet, like I've had to do in the past. Um, you're really going to learn a lot of lessons about like, man, you're not as entertaining as you thought you are. You're not as witty. <laughs> and yeah, so I'll just leave it at that. But um, it, it's really true in the sense of like how they were being so vulnerable, sharing these situations about reaching out to their teachers in return, I really think it's very valuable for the person in that leadership role to respond back with some vulnerability. Um, and as one of the students mentioned, it, you know, they recognize, they recognize that there are still deadlines, like things have to continue to move, even though something has happened um, and, and somebody has to take a break from something, right? Um, so, so that's where I bring up what I, you know, we talked about a little bit before recording, MG, and um, you, you offer, I'll use you as an example that like graceful assertiveness that I think is just such a helpful tool to use if you are in that leadership position, right? So it's like, I understand and here are the facts. Like I understand here are the facts and I'm still willing to work with you as long as we can both recognize that, you know? And And that's how I showed up for this past spring semester because, you know, these, I, I can't, I still can't imagine having, paid for college tuition, you know, from March, 2020 on that it's, you know, luckily we got to hear about, you know, professor Ben Torsney's experiences in season two, and he'll be, you know, on this season as well. Um, it was really hard from both sides. And so I loved the opportunity for my students to be able to have listened to Ben's episode that I was able to get feedback from, the students, you know, in real time about their own experience, but then they're like, oh man, it was just as awful for the professors. And so I walked into the semester, you know, we started the very first two weeks of the semester on Zoom with the thought that probably week three, we would be going back in person, which we were, but we still wore masks the entire time, even though there was the vaccine mandate in place. And I definitely had a f- like a few students between my two classes who were just very open and honest and just like, I am having a terrible mental health week. Um, you know, I can I, you know, make up this assignment or what have you. And just so many things going on in their lives that as long as they were being honest and transparent with me, I did want to work with them that, you know, especially those students who show up and are very present when they're in class, that you know, this is, this is just such a difficult time in time and space and the bad news won't stop coming. And so, you know, I try and reflect back on 20 years ago that I feel like I didn't have those worries that these, these students are having to deal with right now, that I feel like I was just a self-centered 18 to 21 year old floating through Drexel and, (laughs) you know, the, the 
real world insanity that these that these students are are living through it is you know continues to be like this shared traumatic experience and so I, I you know want to show them empathy and treat them like the adults that they are showing up as it, it's really amazing that you do that and it's it's it is so disheartening that they do have to witness so many you know hardships whether direct or indirect right and so I you know I hope that in the next few years when they're they're doing this they're talking about you know this great experience that they had with their professor MJ right (laughs) who who met them with empathy and and that overrides those negative experiences with people who did not meet them with as you mentioned with which I think is like genius to mention um, honesty, transparency, you know, and then as well as empathy, and you're meeting them with it as well, that they take that on for themselves, and then also can apply it to those they meet in the world that aren't going to meet them in that way. You know, it's a great lesson for me, too. I keep thinking for myself, too, um, because there is still that fear. And, And earlier, we mentioned about, like, having to send a an email to let somebody know, like, you need a break or to clearly explain to them, I'm having an awful mental situation right now. Right. And so it does come with, from my experience, a little bit of fear of like, how are they going to perceive me? And I know I'm very responsible, but is this going to come off as like, I'm not taking it seriously. And so, you know, to kind of remove that judgment, I feel will help everybody to just continue to be honest, be transparent and be empathetic. That's, and that's the stage I try and set early on in the semester, but I can absolutely understand just like with going into the workforce, like, can I trust my boss? You know, can I trust this person? And, um, it's when you've been burned so many times, you know, maybe if you've had a lot of negative experiences with your professors or even teachers when you were younger, um, if you've had a lot of negative experiences in the workforce, it's, it's hard to trust. So, which perfectly leads us into our next segment. Um, we're going to be talking about collaboration and handling confrontation. So I honestly, I've never been the most confrontational person. That is definitely a very big thing for me um was kind of coming into my own as a leader and accepting that that's like not a bad thing (laughs) which sounds crazy like now that we're in like a class all about leadership but like when I was younger I was very quiet very shy I never spoke my mind never had an opinion to say out loud it was they were in my head but they were not being said (laughs) yeah and I think when it's hard to collaborate with people it makes me want to go back to that and be quiet again and be like okay no like i'm not gonna do anything i'm just kind of gonna sit back and see what happens but lately i think in college i kind of made the switch or at least i've been trying to where like if there's a disagreement let's say like in a group project Mm -hmm. i kind of try and go about it in like a discussion based thing because there definitely could be a reason why they think one way is better to do it than what I think is the way that's better to do it. So I never want to feel like I'm like talking at someone 
because one I don't think that's like the right way to do it but also that stresses me out because I think that they like won't like me then um which that may not be the right way to think about it but I try to come at it like very conversational and just see where that will go and how they pick up on it because if you just say how you're feeling then they can also feel okay to do the same and then it allows you to collaborate and discuss more about how to find a happy medium if you need to I was the exact same way and so honestly this past summer when I did have to train those new counselors because I was always the one like I was always under so there was always a lead counselor in front of me mm -hmm. I listened to them they heard our ideas we shared but when I was in that position to hear other people's ideas it was kind of hard because I was like okay wait I've been here quite a while you guys yeah. are new like I know you have your ideas but I was kind of I had the mindset just from other people in the facility mm -hmm. like you got to do things this way this way this way and I was like okay wait I do not want to be that kind of delegator or whatever so yeah. it was I tried to be more collaborative and then that kind mm -hmm. of built, built our relationship a little better so I was like okay and like more conversation like you said instead of like just doing a bunch of dictating yeah and I think that's the perfect example of like when we've talked about situational leadership in the past with class like you kind of have to go based on what the task is and then also like who's in the group that's following you like you can't with elementary schoolers go in and expect them to know everything that you're doing and just assume things but then you also don't want to go and treat college students like they're in elementary school it has to kind of be very situational and pick up on things like that so i was wondering you mentioned kind of when you've had to train people um with the camp counseling like when was there an experience where like it's kind of been flipped where you've seen like a time where you can treat situational leadership differently it, uh, leslie and margo talked towards the end of that clip about situational leadership and that was probably hands down one of kind of like the favorite and most discussed styles of leadership in in this leadership and organizations class because it is exactly like the name says, it is you are changing your leadership style based on the situation at hand. And so, you know, they, you know, Daniela, you mentioned teaching ballet to eight to 10 year olds that obviously that particular teaching style is going to be incredibly different if you're teaching a five-year-old or you're teaching a, you know, 50-year-old. And so even though you are teaching the same basic skills, you're changing the way and your style of teaching based on your audience. And so, I, you know, it, that's definitely one of my styles and, you know, a read the room, if you will. And like one of my favorite things about this clip was Leslie's self-awareness in her, no, this is the way things have always been done. And it's like, oh no, I'm nope, we're not doing that. <laughs> nope. I don't, I don't, I've never worked well like that. <laughs> I I hate, hate, hate. Well, we've always done it this way. And so this is the way we're going to keep doing it. However, on the flip side, I I absolutely agree with um almost kind of like, okay, if you're brand new, give it a minute. And, you know, kind of see how we're doing things. And then let's have a discussion about what you think needs to change after you've kind of seen the way that we do it, but don't show up out of the blue 
um, not knowing any backstory or not knowing maybe why we do um, particular things that like, you know, give it a couple of weeks, a month, depending on the situation. And then, you know, almost like kind of like a survey and a reflection of like, okay, how has this month gone? I think that this could be done better. Or, you know, maybe the person who's new, who had all these suggestions, it's like, okay, now I completely understand why my ideas would not work. So it's, it should be collaboration. Yes. Yes. That's a collab. Is that a style of leadership? Collaborative leadership? Uh, it's, it's one of my values. <laughs> it's, That's, yes. it's one of my three core values, hospitality, collaboration, and humor. I love that. I love that. So, you know, to speak to that, I think um, a few things come to mind in terms of the perspective that you offered. I actually completely agree. You know, if they're new, you have to, you have to, it's still understanding you're using the situational leadership, but applying the, the, the rule guidelines, so to say, if it's somebody who's brand new, right? I think it's really valuable to recognize how the person in front of you or whoever you're guiding, that there's a recognition there of their learning style of their desire, right? Uh, because somebody doesn't want to be there, you know, they might not necessarily want to be on board with the flexibility that there is within a situational leadership type of approach, right? And I do know people like this, where they, they've said to me, just give me the A, B, and C, right? And that's okay. I'll be, the, I'll be the person who switches it up when I recognize that it needs to be, you know, adjusted um, and they'll follow the rules and that's okay too. Right. But um, for me, my approach is definitely situational leadership. I mean, I have found this again, speaking to teaching dance um, as well as teaching Pilates. And that's a big you know, jump. Usually it's children to adults um, for the two different uh, types of, of movement, but it's the same in the sense that you go in with a plan and it's, I can never tell you where I walked in with a plan teaching either of those and it stuck to the same guideline that I walked in with, right? <laughs> always going to change. I mean, there's always situations there and, you know, it's actually really good for um, people with accessibility needs. The structure is really good. And, and I'm going to speak to this very slightly because I'm, I'm not an expert or, you know, professional in that area, but um, one thing that I do know is, you know, um, adjusting to the environment and helping um, in that sense can help to bring someone's focus back and help them to also feel like a leader. So that in turn will help them to, you know, find success in, in, in what they're learning. And so, you know, that situational leadership experience, I mean, if it's not something you're used to, I, I, I do encourage people to practice it. Uh, for themselves if they're not if they're not used to doing it in that way totally agree all right so um the last clip we're going to listen to is regarding managing our emotions reiterating the importance of emotional intelligence and empathy and understanding like other people what is one way that you feel like you've learned to like manage your own emotions where you are like, okay, I, I just take a step back or something like that, because I was just talking about this in a discussion board yesterday, actually for another class, but I've really had to learn how to put myself in other people's shoes. And so that's something where I fully have to just 
kind of take myself out of the equation for a second and I think about that in my head where I'm like, okay, if I was this person, how would I react? And then how should I react thinking about that? I think I have so, a pretty good example for that, going back to work. So I work at a, a country club and there's three different summer camps that kind of go on during the summer. I'm in charge of like the youngest kids camp. So it's like the, the youngest we'll take is three and then up to about seven or eight is the max of my camp. And um, it's a tennis country club. So there's a portion of the day when there is time for tennis. Um, but tennis is always taught by the pro instructor or whatever. And I'm kind of just the assistant. Mm -hmm. I remember one day it was time for tennis and there was no instructor. So <laughs> the, other, the other instructors who were there with the older kids, they were like, you lead them. I was like, I lead them. <laughs> They were like, yeah, you've been here all summer. You know, you kind of know what the coaches do. I was like, okay, I can do it. So mm -hmm. I had them do their volleys, their matches and everything. And I was like, wow. So after that, I kind of was like, I really understand now how these instructors <laughs> feel yeah. with these five and six-year-olds because I never, like, I see it all the time, but because I'm not the lead at the time, usually I'm yeah. just like, oh, okay, you know, listen to this person. Like I'm not the professional here, but this, for this time I was, and I was like, wow, like it yeah. can be frustrating when you're in like a different type of leadership position, because going back to like how letting kids walk all over you or whatever, now they're like, okay, it's not Miss Leslie, the camp counselor. Now she's our tennis instructor and they know I don't know what I'm doing so they're kind of I was like it's a different <laughs> it's a different kind of pace so that's yeah. like one example I can think of where I had yeah. to kind of think about someone else's position and kind of become it but it was it was definitely hard <laughs> yeah it's a very hard process to learn how to like regulate your own emotions on top of understanding other people's like it's like a simultaneous process yeah um which is why i think so many people don't know how to use it yet and they don't find it as important because it's such a individualized like topic like meaning like with every person it's going to be different like i might have to teach myself like how to step back and wait to react but someone else might have to I, I don't know, like learn when to speak up, which that's also been me before. So it's definitely hard in different situations to like yeah. learn when to regulate your emotions. That's definitely a thing with like my siblings mm -hmm. and things like that is like learning, especially with siblings, I feel like is understanding when to say your opinion versus when not to, and then think about how they're feeling too um because I don't have the perspective of like a younger sibling yeah so it's a very interesting thing to kind of take a step back understand where they're coming from and I wouldn't even say I learned that lesson honestly until college yeah. and I was out of the house I was moved out which is not the best but when you're in it it feels so hard to take yourself out of that position and get all sides of the story mm -hmm. um but that's definitely something I want to take into future leadership positions because you can't just constantly be thinking about yourself. Like you have to understand your own emotions, but then other people's as well, because otherwise you're just going to be kind of self-serving the whole time. Okay. As an only child that just 
smacked me in the face. I'm like, she's so right. Because I think that I, I did have a lot of lessons to learn as far as like being completely self-absorbed as, as an only child. I, you know, prided myself on being to being able to talk to adults from a young age because, you know, siblings have one another. And as an only child, it's, you know, my best friend from college, he's also an, an only child. And so we, he is the, the sibling that I never had because we were just so similar. And, you know, just really made me think of him. Um, when, when Margot talks about, you know, understanding where her siblings are coming from, but, you know, Danielle, you've got so many sisters, you know, what, how, how did this, how did what Margot had to say about her siblings speak to you? Well, I was just going to say, well, I can give you the perspective from a fourth daughter of, you know, there's, there's all daughters in my family and, uh, I am also the baby of the family and I'm also the baby of my entire family, you know, my cousins (laughs) and all too. So, you know, from that perspective for a very long time, I used to say, and I like joked about it, but, but really it's, it was something I had to work on. Um, I would always say, well, why, why do I need to talk? My three sisters do it for me. Right. So (laughs) (laughs) it was, I was very quiet and, you know, even till this day, I have to practice and they're very loving. Um, but we know we can drive each other mad sometimes. And so, um, even till this day, I do have to practice speaking up because, um, where there's the benefits of like, I got to learn from my siblings being the youngest, there was also the downside of like, I didn't really speak up that much because I had these very, you know, three overpowering different personalities (laughs) either coming at me or, you know, they, they, they did it, you know, they spoke up for me and not in a mean sense. I don't, you know, I think a lot of the time it was in like a protection type of deal. Um, even just in regular conversations, they would do it for me and I would just be like, okay, (laughs) you know, so to be able to speak up and have an opinion is hard for me now. Um, and I constantly work on it. And, you know, one of my big things, and I think they mentioned either in this clip or the previous one is like, um, feeling like, you know, you're in a sense, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but like, you're a bad person if you speak up. Right. And I had a friend who's actually a, um, a therapist as well. And, you know, she had said to me this one sentence that literally has changed my whole year so far was, you know, because you're speaking up of, for what you want, it does not make you a bad person. Mm-hmm. And I was Agreed. like, Oh, right. It's such a great point. And it's like, and I was like, that's exactly what it is. I feel like I am going to perceive like I am not a good person or that I, you know, because I have a different opinion, it makes me that I'm trying to fight with you. Right. And it's not and that, that. And that highlights what they talked about in that fourth clip about, um, you know, Margot saying that being nervous to speak up in a group setting because I didn't want to seem like I was taking control or, um, and so that's definitely, I, with both leadership and my team processes class, I'm like, listen, y'all, you are going to be doing group projects for the rest of your lives. And I know you think that this is going to stop in college, but I mean, just look at COVID. That was a worldwide group project that we all failed. (laughs) So it's, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, like you will be working in some sort of team group capacity at some point for the rest of your lives. So you need to learn group dynamics. Exactly. Group dynamics, exactly. Group dynamics, like relationship dynamics, all of it, whether it's one person or multiple. 
And this is where emotional intelligence comes into play as well, that, you know, constantly I've reflected on how just far beyond these, these students are these days, you know, 20 years later versus where I and, you know, my fellow college students were at when, you know, in the early aughts that we, we possessed no emotional intelligence and it just, I don't know, I'm, I'm just, it gives me so much hope for the future that, you know, how far this generation has come. And I, I hope that they will just continue to push the needle. Absolutely. I'm, I'm like very, very empowered by them. And exactly to your point of like, I was very emotional. <laughs> I don't know about the emotional <laughs> intelligence at their age, but I, you know, so. Yeah. And I, I had no problem speaking up. I was very mouthy, but I don't, I don't think I cared about the consequences. Yeah. So now it's both, you know, that's why maybe you and I work so well together. We, we balance <laughs> each other out, <laughs> but I mean, you don't do that to me now. You're very empathetic, but um, yeah. So it's, it was great to hear how much they have progressed since you know for us back in the day and hearing them is again it's just so empowering it's just so empowering I really enjoyed having having the two of them in my class so you know I want to say a special thank you to um, our guest today Daniela Galdi Um, I also want to send a shout out to Margo and Leslie it was wonderful getting to listen to your voices again and you know keep keep up the amazing work that you're doing Uh, Listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Please follow Beyond the Venue podcast on Instagram um, and you can stream us uh, on any of your favorite podcast streaming platforms. Have a great day. This is a Bifesta production.